0: welcome in the latest episode of that sec podcast brought to you by my bookie and twisted i i'm your host michael Bratton. i go by sec mike on twitter and man do we got a loaded show for you guys today two guests on the show john neighbors back to respond to some of these mizzou fans that have been Living in his mansion since uh, last week. Had him on to talk Sam Pittman and the future of the Arkansas Razorbacks. And, of course, it's a Tuesday. So that means it's a Stephen Lassen Tuesday on the show. Deep dive. We were able to hit on all the teams with Stephen. Some of these coaching hires, SEC Championship preview, and a whole lot more. So, busy, busy show, like I was saying. And uh, right before we uh, recorded here, breaking news. From ESPN, we're going to get into a lot more of this with Cousin Shane tomorrow, but uh, some of the 2024 schedules have leaked and uh, I'm not going to go over all of them right now, but highlighted by Texas at Texas A&M November 30th. So Thanksgiving weekend, not Thanksgiving Day, but Thanksgiving weekend, Texas and Texas A&M will finally be meeting once again on the gridiron. Could not be more excited for that. But, um, hey, a lot to go over. A couple firings here at Florida. I mean, this was this was a busy, busy day at the SEC. So let's kick it over first. Uh, if you're watching on the video, you just have to click right here. I'm not going to include it. But uh, audio listeners, let's kick it over to this interview with John Neighbors. All right, back by popular demand, John Neighbors posted the Out of Bounds on 103.7 The Buzz. And, of course, Locked on Razorbacks. John, how's it going there in the great state of Arkansas?
1: Oh, you know, just uh, another banner year for Razorback football, going four and eight and getting to talk about it, and nobody really feeling good about the future of Razorback football. So, no, it's it's going awesome. Great Thanksgiving. Really
0: great. Right, right. So, I want to ask, you know, go all over that. But before we do, uh, I want to thank you because we got uh, officially well over a million views. On uh, a clip that, you know, at SUC Media Days, did pretty well. I think it had like 200,000, which is, that's even good for me. But uh, over a million, thanks to you. Oh, plays I believe, seven games in Fayetteville. Mm-hmm.
1: I think they should go undefeated in Fayetteville. Okay, Or at least at home in Arkansas. I think yeah. they play again in War Memorial the first game of the season. They should go undefeated. And that includes their four non-conference games. But also Auburn, Mississippi State, and Missouri. Yeah. They should win all three of those games. I love how Arkansas people just...
0: Completely disregard the zoo. <laughs> I know. Anytime. I know
1: because it's because it goes back to the thing where Arkansas is better than them, but they just don't win the game. You know, it's just it's like you know those years that Ole Miss beat Alabama back to back years. Was Ole Miss a better team than Alabama? Yeah. No, <laughs> they just it just happened. You know, right. and that's what it feels like with Missouri. Like Drinkwitz has not had that's- a winning record. <laughs> That guy's not had a winning record. South Carolina just said the same thing yesterday. <laughs> it's like Yeah. <laughs> like we lose it, but we shouldn't be. We yeah. were the better team. Yes, and like and, and you know, it's so that's where it's like it's I'm putting it as if you put measure both teams on the field, talent wise, all yeah. that Arkansas is a better team. They should win the game. So that's where I'm putting that into the mix. But the game, honestly, that I believe that most people are riding off for Arkansas, at least the people I've talked to, I think it's that Florida game on the road.
0: Out. And you were not alone, many people making fun of Mazoo at, at SEC media days, but I'm just, just going to give you this opportunity to, uh, I, I'm just curious if you're eager to amend those comments. No, <laughs> no, because what I, I'm like, I'm not going to
1: backtrack off of something I said in the summertime mm-hmm. and some prediction that I had and the way I feel about that game, as well as many Razorback fans feel that game. Like, that's what was so funny about that clip, man. Like, listen, I, I say stuff on the, uh, just as you know, like, it's our business. Like, we make predictions. A lot of times we're wrong. A lot of times we're right. Like, and it, but it's just good banter and everything. Mm-hmm. But this, the comment about Missouri, I I don't know. It was a weird flex that these Missouri fans were, were trying to put on me because I'm like, man, like, I don't understand what I said that was false or at least that was so absurd because yeah going into the year myself like so many other people felt like Arkansas was going to be a better team and especially better than Missouri you know Missouri had had what was it three straight losing seasons under drink wits hadn't hadn't really busted through yet and so it just looked like on paper that that's what it was going to be is that Arkansas was going to be uh, an improved team from the year before and Missouri was kind of a Team that most people think was that they picked finished sixth, uh, fifth or sixth in the SEC East. So, yeah, that's how I felt at the time. And I still believe that the previous three seasons, Arkansas, that was two and one against Eli Drinkwitz at the time. Arkansas was a better team in all those games. it, It just was. And this year, guess what? Missouri was a better team. They have been all year long. And they beat Arkansas pretty handedly and i believe that if arkansas would have found a way to beat missouri in that game on friday missouri fans probably would have felt the same way the Razorback fans did over the past few seasons of saying we were a better team we we had a better season we had more talent we should we, we should have never lost to that team that's all that i was saying and so to see the reaction from not only missouri fans but players i got luther burden tweeting at me about I'm like what in the world It's like and then Eli Drinkwitz is, is retweeting, quote-tweeting stuff. I'm just laughing about I was like, golly, the fact that the, they needed me to use me, of all people, as some sort of, like, motivational flex after beating a 4-8 and eight Arkansas team. I was like, man. All right, well, I mean, congrats. You were a good team this year, no denying it. But it was just really weird. It was kind of crazy, though. I enjoyed it.
0: Right, right. And how soon they forget that uh, leading up to Kansas State, they were booing their quarterback. They wanted their coach fired. But – we forget our own mistakes and like like to point at other people's uh, mistakes in the past. Oh, but
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, listen, listen, Mike. Let's be honest. Like, this is the same fan base that was celebrating when Trevin Brazil in basketball for Arkansas last year went out with a season-ending injury. Like, there are a lot of their fans on social media celebrating that fact because he's a transfer from Missouri. So, mm. I mean, listen. I'm, we all know how fans can be, but their fan base has had some history of those things too. But like you said, yeah, it's like how soon we forgets when winning cures all and just makes you move on. And it's like nothing ever happened.
0: Well, one place where that's not been happening, at least on the gridiron is Fayetteville. And uh, so got to take a different direction here. You, I, I was just joking with you, but no, it's true. I mean, I, I just watched the latest locked on razorbacks and it was, um, you know, it was pretty depressing watch and, and I understand it because it was a depressing season, but uh, where are we at with Sam Pittman? I know, Many of us anticipated a coaching search, which uh, obviously is is not happening. And uh, on my li- live show last night, John, I mean, we were talking Mike Oko to A and M, we were talking Jeff Lebby to Mississippi State, and every Arkansas fan in there says, "When's our search going to begin?" I mean that that's the mindset, which is just a terrible place to be in.
1: Yeah, it's it is a weird, unique time right now uh, for Arkansas fans because. I feel like over the past few days, especially where Sam Pittman had his press conference after the game and I uh, had that little, I cocked a little attitude towards a question that was asked, which I thought was a legitimate question about, Hey, since Hunter check, the athletic director for Arkansas has backed you. And after this performance that you just had against Missouri, where do you find the momentum? Where do you find the energy into the off season? And he said, I don't know someone else.
2: Yeah, Coach, with uh, Hunter giving you his backing for next year and
3: just generating, trying to generate some momentum going into the offseason, with this performance how how do you generate that um, going into the offseason? I don't know. Somebody else. Hey. Situation. I might not have phrased it right at the beginning, but I was just kind of asking about that in terms of the momentum with the program. Is yeah. it a big splash
2: higher OC? Is it landing some big studs in yeah, the man. transfer portal? What what creates
3: the momentum from to to turn this program? Well, I think the first thing is you got to go find an offensive coordinator. You know, uh, one that wants to be here. One that, uh, you know, it would be fun if a guy understood the state, you know, and understood the SEC and all those type things. I will say this: that uh, Arkansas is is a, a very well respected. By some of the folks that I've been able to talk to, and I feel very, very good that that we'll get a offensive coordinator that wants to be wants to be here and wants to um, uh, lead help lead our program uh, to a lot of lot of great things. Um, but I, were you talking about the NIL again? No, what were you saying? Just, just the coordinator just that just that we need to get there, in yeah. pretty quick. We need to get that. Oh, you're talking about. Uh, yeah, well, what you got to do is you got to get the right coordinator that that uh, that is going to help us win, and then we've got to start. To be honest with you, Trey, if we just started going, okay, this guy committed, this guy committed, this guy committed, you know what I mean? Just change instead of just nobody commits. Where's our coordinator? All that stuff. Obviously, that's going to fester. Uh, but if we can get a coordinator that uh, we believe can we can score points and then go get some starting honestly with soaring up the offensive line uh, I think we can get momentum back you know we obviously have been invited to three of three bowl games in the last four years this one right here is a a disappointing year Uh, more so to be honest with you that there was way way higher optimism about this year than what it ended up being and uh um, we got to change it. We got to fix it. And, uh, but I think you asked me before too. There's no doubt in my mind. I'm the guy that can change it, especially with the opportunities that we've been afforded.
1: Isn't just to move on. I batted away, and I'm like, that is the worst thing you could possibly do. That should have been your opportunity to go out and say, here's how we're going to do it. I'm going to hire an offensive coordinator that's going to be amazing. I'm going to bring in some great players. We're going to fix these problems. And we're going to do this in the offseason. We're going to get better. We're going to focus on getting better and developing and recruiting. And we're going to come out. We're going to be a better team next year. Like that's what you should have said. But with him saying that and just kind of blowing it off and moving on. And then on top of seeing other programs, that seem to be at least on paper, a little bit more serious about their football program and, and the direction they're going. How do you feel excited? If you're a Razorback fan about the future, like you, you how, how does anyone feel good right now about Sam Pittman? In the future of Razorback football, you can't. You can't point to anything. So mm-hmm. it's it's weird because I felt like the comment that he made and kind of blowing it off about the the question, I said this on my podcast, it sounded to me almost like a coach that's about to get fired, but he's not. You know, that's like a coach that would make that comment would be someone who just knows he's kind of out, uh, out the door or, you know, is just sensitive about it, whatever it is, but he's coming back. So how do you feel good about it? I don't. Most Razorback fans don't. And seeing other programs be able to have coaching searches and then move swiftly on those coaching searches and hire some guys that feel like they're probably some pretty good hires. You're kind of Arkansas just left. All right, well, I still got this. You know, it's kind of like I reminded just a quick example. It reminds me of one like if you were in school as an elementary school kid and you had been growing up eating the same thing packed for lunch each and every day. And then a few years down the road, all of a sudden, all your friends around you start getting the really cool lunch that everybody wants. And then everyone's like, oh, man, I got the good Capri Suns and I got the great, you know, Lunchables or whatever. And it's like, well, I still got the same sack lunch than boring that I've had this whole time. Like, that's kind of how Razorback fans feel. Everybody else is having fun, getting cool stuff. It's like, well, we're we, we still get the same stuff that we've been eating for the past few years. So it's a frustrating time.
0: That's why I hate peanut butter and jelly sandwiches to this day, John. Because I got it every damn day for about six years. But uh, yeah, but we do know a a coordinator hire is imminent. So uh, I don't know who that is going to be. Maybe you do, but uh, you know, what are the chances that uh, if they if Sam Pittman hires, you know, uh, gets a home run hire as an offensive coordinator, that they can turn this thing around?
1: I mean, I think that with the portal. And NIL just being the way it is, it's a lot easier to turn around something in a year and just in one offseason. I think that looking at Arkansas's defense, I know it wasn't perfect, but it was so vastly, vastly improved from a year ago. Just shows you that if you get the right coaches in place, you get some guys out of the portal, uh, it makes a difference and can make you competitive. So I think the ability to be able to change it is there. But it's just a matter of, okay, but who is going to do that? Because right now, like, Pittman's on a one-year deal, essentially. Like I mean, it's like, hey, this is your one-year shot. And if a, if you're a coordinator, if you're a big-time coordinator, is that something you're going to want to walk into? And if you do walk into it, you're probably going to want maybe more guaranteed money. Uh, you're also going to want to know, okay, so what about the quarterback situation? Is it going to be my – Is it, am I going to have K.J. Jefferson around? Ah, am I going to have Kobe Criswell? And am I going to have to go find somebody? I think there's just a lot of questions that have to be answered. The – The potential is there to make a huge turnaround. But the faith that that will happen, just given the circumstances, is pretty low. So we'll see what Piven does. Again, I think he did a good job hiring a defensive staff, so I'll give him that benefit. If he can replicate that on the offense, it'll be a a good thing. But it's just how do you, as a great offensive coordinator and as a solid offensive quarter, walk in this situation and feel good about it. it? It's tough.
0: Is it more important that he nails offensive coordinator higher, or is it more important that they they fix the offensive line and and get a qualified offensive line coach in there?
1: Oh, offensive line, and it's not even close. I mean, uh, this past year, Arkansas, if they would have just had an average offensive line, just average, they're probably going to a bowl game. Like, I mean, does it go – I don't think it goes from four wins to eight wins, but at least go to a bowl game. And the offensive line was so bad – like, I mean, bad, bad. So you got to get that fixed because it won't matter who's the quarterback if you can't block. And we saw that this year. And so they got they got to make that their number one focus in getting that righted right away. And then they can focus on the other things. But, yeah, that needs to be first, second, and third priorities this offseason. Fixing that offensive line because, so yeah, the quarterback's important. Yes, the coordinator's important. Yes, all that's important. But none of it matters if you don't have a line that's going to be able to block.
0: Mm-hmm. Is there any shot that KJ Jefferson returns, or is that just wishful thinking?
1: I would be shocked if he did, uh, just to be honest. Uh, I think he put up an Instagram post on a story for the Missouri game, kind of like a one last time, something to that extent. So it just kind of gives a vibe that he's going to be moving on. I don't know if he's going to try to go pro or if he enters into the transfer portal. I think it's pretty fascinating. I'm not saying they would go this way, but knowing that Jeff Levy got hired at Mississippi State, you know, and KJ Jefferson's from the state of Mississippi and Jeff Levy, his, you know, his relationship and family relationship with Kendall Bryles, uh, you know, similar offenses, like maybe that would be somewhere that he goes and maybe talks about, I don't know, but I would be shocked if he ends up coming back next year as Arkansas's quarterback.
0: Any idea why Arkansas struggled so much at home and looking ahead to next season? I mean, if you just... Look at the home slate, LSU, Ole Miss, Tennessee, Texas. I, unless Arkansas makes major strides, I have to believe they're going to be underdogs in all those home games, at conference games anyway. Yeah, I think they're going to be underdogs pretty much in all the games next year, it
1: seems, <laughs> like at least the Power Five ones, But... Uh, but yeah, like that was the, like, listen, this, this year was bad. It was, it was a bad, weird year. The schedule was really weird too. You know, you open with a bunch of home games and you end with a bunch of home games, but then in the middle, it's nothing but traveling. So it was just a weird thing overall, but by far the weirdest is that the worst games Arkansas had this year was at home. Now, right now, how does that make sense? Like even the Kent state game that you won, you looked like trash. And then we know BYU, like Mississippi state seven to three, my God. You know, you only, that was a game that existed and it happened in Fayetteville. And so you have that, and then you get trounced in your final two sec games by Auburn and Missouri, which Missouri is a good team but Auburn, you know, lost to New Mexico state the next week at home. So I wish I had a reason. I don't know because they played so much better on the road and away from Fayetteville. Like, like that is so opposite and so weird. I don't even know how to explain it, but. Yeah, you got to fix that, not just because of the, the competition and everything, but season ticket holders are just not going to continue to spend their hard-earned money traveling up to Fayetteville and watching the worst performances of the year. It's just not going to happen. So mm. uh, they got to fix that. But it's a good home schedule next year, at least for uh, matchup-wise. So that's right.
0: good. On a scale of uh, 0 to 100, 100 being most likely, obviously, uh, what what scale would you give it that Sam Pittman's our head coach in 2025?
1: Man, that's a good question. Um, right now, where it stands, I would give it a 20. Just because that schedule's brutal. Teams are getting better. Um, you know, you've gotten worse. You went from nine wins to seven wins to four wins. Like, how, Unless, again, you just bring in an entire offensive staff and roster that really changes the entire game. I, it's hard for me to buy into it. So, yeah, right now I'd say 20 at best as far as him being the coach after next football season.
0: Yeah, well, that's actually higher than I thought you would have went. So uh, go with me here. Let's say, and again, I root for Sam Pittman. I, I hope he turns it around. But if he doesn't, obviously, we're going to have a coaching search here. Who do you think Arkansas would rather have? Gus Malzahn or Rhett Lashley, who, you know, he, he runs that Gus system and doesn't doesn't come with the baggage. Golly, dude, like this <laughs> You're
1: at, like this is something that, like, I just I, I'm not laughing at you. The question is just funny because, um, I was just I can I just want to get over the on thing. It's like he's burned at Arkansas like five times, right? And it's like, what's what, what point do you just say, ah he's not coming back? But as, as far as for the instant sake between those two, I, I think Razorback fans would maybe at this point rather have on just because on, at least is proven to win as head coach in the SEC, mm-hmm. and you know. Uh, I, I, would he, would he go into Arkansas and be able to replicate what he did at Auburn? I don't know, probably not, but I feel like at, at worst Malzon would be a t- coach that gets Arkansas to a, a six, seven win season every year at worst. Right. So, uh, but yeah, I'd probably do Malzon, go to go with Malzahn.
0: Well, the only reason I bring that up, cause again, I don't know how valid this is, but I have heard rumblings that, uh, anybody that missed it, Rip Lashley just signed an extension and he was waiting to see what Arkansas was gonna do with Pittman. So I, I think he's got eyes on that job. So that's just something to keep your eye on. And then last what I get this not a troll because I think these are two quality coaches here, but uh would Arkansas rather have Barry Odom as head coach or Eli Drinkwitz, who's he's an Arkansas man and hell, he he looks like a winner nowadays.
1: Yeah, yeah. He he's a big Arkansas man. Um yeah, everyone everyone loves Drinkwitz at Arkansas, and, every, and everyone had <laughs> heard of Drinkwitz too when he when he was here at Arkansas. Yeah, he was a, he was a very big deal. Um, honestly, I think uh, I think they'd rather have Barry Odom, and I'm not saying that just because of the Drinkwitz and the rivalry and all that stuff. Like I, I just feel like um, there's there's something to be said about Odom and when the job he that he's done. And I think that honestly, a lot of the issues Sam Pittman had as a head coach this year was not having Barry Odom, who was a fine head football coach material like I mean he is and look at what he's done at ULV I mean mm-hmm. that program was down in the dumps and he's got it to what is a 9-10 win season this year so uh I, I think that they would rather have someone like Odom and Odom is uh is a guy that I think is, is proven and has uh a, a lot to where you know I think he's learned a lot too from his Missouri experience and even his Arkansas experience to where you know it could be something that he's better at and, and if he gets the right offensive coach like that'd be the thing but hey dude hired Bobby Petrino at UNLV before Bobby Petrino left. And I thought that was a good hire for him.
0: So, right, um, but yeah, so I, would probably go with Barry Odom at this point. All right, John. Way, well, Hey, I really appreciate you particularly being a good sport with all these, uh, crazy Mizzou fans that are still in my mentions. I can only imagine what yours look like this weekend. Uh, before you go, can you tell the audience where can they follow you? Where can they find your work?
1: Yeah. So locked on Razorbacks backs podcast, wherever podcasts are found. You can also watch it on YouTube as well. And, Call me on my social media at Buzz John Neighbors. And, you know, I, I appreciate the Missouri fans for, like you know, using it. It's it's just I guess it, I just find it truly funny because I'm like, I did not think I said anything that was now if I would have come out and said Missouri is a trash program and Arkansas is superior in every way. OK, maybe you have an argument, but it's like I literally was just talking about that game and having some fun with it. And they wanted to use that as sheer motivation, but Hey, I'm just glad I could add something to the rivalry that has not really existed, but maybe this is the type of stuff that can help it exist. But you know, who also outside of Arkansas, Missouri care about this game. No one at all. So you know, I'm, I'm glad that they have a good year and they have a, have a great season. Again, I'm giving them credit. I picked them to win, but it's just funny to me how it's, this has happened in this way and, I've gotten a lot of attention, as well as my podcast and my content. So I should thank him, honestly, for
0: doing it. (laughs) I appreciate John being a good sport and hopping on the show. Uh, But like I said, it's a Stephen and Tuesday. Went well over an hour with Stephen. So let's kick it over to that interview. Once again, can't thank Stephen enough for joining the show. All right, post-Thanksgiving, but we still got... Our weekly guest here, Stephen Lassen, Senior Editor, Athlon Sports. Stephen, how was the greatest weekend of college football over at the Lassen household? It was glorious. (laughs) There was entirely
2: too much food consumed, uh, turkey, ham, all the fixings, plenty of dessert, and most importantly, plenty of football, and of course, the craziness that is the coaching carousel, uh, the transfer portal. Maybe it is the greatest time of the year because it was pretty crazy this weekend. And of course, uh, we can't complain with all the the leftovers as we're eating uh, as we're we're eating those and watching uh, Missouri play Arkansas and all the games on
0: Saturday too. Right. And, and obviously, I wanted to ask you uh, to, to share your thoughts on the new SEC head coaches that we have: Mike Elko at Texas A and M, of course, Jeff Levy at Mississippi State. But uh, something that just popped into my mind here. I mean, we just had Thanksgiving, and we had these openings for – you would probably know better than I how many days, but, I mean, we're talking like a two-week window. I mean, four or five years ago and beyond, I mean, that sometimes it would take months to, to land a coach, and, you know, everything is sped up. So, I mean, there, there's good and there's bad with it, but uh, certainly some of the quickest – uh, coaching searches that I can remember in the SEC. How about you?
2: You're you're 100% right about that. I, I think that is a an interesting uh, kind of storyline that we're seeing play out because the season ends and then the next sort of cycle starts, which is roster management in terms of transfers and in terms of recruiting, building a staff. The portal opens on December 4th, the day after all the bowl games are announced. So the window to maintain your roster before players can go into the portal and others can start trying to land those players is pretty small so the cycle is definitely speeding up you don't have time for an extended search you've got to get a guy in who can maintain what you have but also start to focus on adding uh players some other teams and start to fill the roster uh because like it's not only the portal it's also the first signing date too so the, the signing date and the transfer portal, those two dates have sped up everything. You've got to get a guy in as quick as possible uh, to maintain your roster.
0: All right. So let's get into uh, the new Texas A&M coach first, Mike Elko. Of course, a familiar name. He's been at A&M before. as a outstanding defensive coordinator. Notre Dame as well. And obviously, most recently at Duke, turning around the Blue Devils. Uh, thoughts on this hire? And I got to ask, too. If would you prefer Mike Oko or would you prefer Mark Stoops for Texas A&M? What was your favorite moment of
2: the uh, Mark Stoops uh, Texas A&M era? I don't know about you, but it was the uh, the hour I probably spent like snooping for information on Twitter or uh, a message board. But no, seriously, I, I think I would rather have Mike Oko. I think. I think you know what you have in Mark Stoops. I think there's probably some upside in hiring Mike Oko. The search itself was messy. There's no doubt about it. Like the whole process was messy, but the end result is the right one. They got their guy. And it gets at kind of what you and I talked about, uh, I guess, just a week ago, which was A&M didn't need a splashy hire. They didn't need to go out and get the Dabo Swinney, the Lane Kiffin. They didn't need a big name. They just needed somebody who was going to be kind of hard worker, blue collar type coach, and willing to work to figure out why A&M has all these resources and all this potential, and it hasn't translated into wins. And I think Mike Elko's the the perfect fit to do so. Uh, the track record of being a strong defensive coordinator when he was at A&M, great defenses. No surprise, maybe, that after he left, the program was sort of trending in the wrong direction. He goes to Duke, two winning seasons. I wouldn't read too much into their record this year because they lost their starting quarterback kind of midway through the year and they still managed to finish seven to five after being one of the most improved teams in the country the year before. So it's only two years, but you have to like the improvement that they made at Duke and his track record uh, from being before at Texas A&M. I hate sometimes the word fit, but I think this is a strong one. Uh, for Texas A&M. If I had to grade it, I would give it
0: an A uh, right now. Mm -hmm. And uh, right before we hopped on the line, Stephen, just want to get your reaction on this as well. Chris Lowe, ESPN senior reporter, uh, he's released uh, a couple of the uh, games for for next season already. And the one I really want to ask you about, November 30th, Texas at Texas A&M. We're bringing it back. A&M, LSU will not meet to uh, close the regular season. It's going to be the battle down there uh, in the, the great state of Texas. Thought, thoughts on Texas and Texas, uh, Texas A&M meeting in the finale. Sarkeesian, Elko. I mean, this this going to be one heck of a battle.
2: Oh, man. Uh, our, our Thanksgiving is about to get <laughs> like 20 times better next year with this game coming back. I mean, I remember – um, when these two teams were in the big 12 and even before that, it, you know, Thanksgiving weekend was just perfect to see Texas and Texas A&M playing. It was always one of my must see games, uh, growing up, you know, the rivalries between these two. So I'm excited just personally that it's back. It's one of college football's best rivalries, but for it to be at the end of the year and you think about the potential stakes the next year, we're going to have the 12 team playoff, but putting all that aside, Mike, like you said, Mike Elko versus Steve Sarkeesian. What if it's Arch Manning? What if it's Quinn Ewers against Texas A&M's defense? Lost in all this, and I I probably should have said this when we talked about Elko, I think Texas A&M can turn things around pretty quick next year because you had if if Connor Wigman and that supporting cast comes back on offense with what Mike Elko is going to do on defense next year, they're going to be picked high in my personal ranking. So, you're going to have a matchup of two teams that's going to be ranked high at the end of the year. They haven't played in some time. Uh count me in. It's going to make uh, it's going to make rivalries in the SEC even better to have it at the end of the season.
0: Yeah, and back to uh, Elko's hire. I mean, I, I don't think in any shape or form A&M should have made the hire simply because of uh you know, continuity is not even the right word because he has been gone, but he's he's familiar with it. He's familiar with some of the players. I have to imagine, you know, recruiting them to college stations, some of the staff members that are already there. But that being said, again, i that's not why you hire the guy, but it is an added bonus um, given it in, in today's modern age with the transfer portal and NIL and all this. How much do you think it will help uh, that he's got those connections to where maybe some big-time players that – are I in the transfer portal, maybe they'll stick around because they, they're more than familiar with Mike Elko and, and who he is and the defense he runs and, and everything that goes with that. So uh, that, that, in my opinion, is really going to help the Aggies. What do you think?
2: 100% agree with you. I think it's going to help a ton. I think if you're on the roster or you're a you know recruit, a transfer, wh- whoever you are, there's no unknown like with Mike Elko. You know who he is. He's been there before. If you're bringing in someone like Mark Stoops, you're going to wonder, like, what's the, what's he going to be like? What's the internal, like, culture? How is this all going to work? I don't think there's any questions about that with Mike Elko. And I think you've seen a lot of uh, players who were at Texas A&M under Mike Elko when he was the defensive coordinator – come out very strong in terms of supporting him kind of uh, everybody that I've seen seems to be really behind this hire uh, from former players. And I think that can only help. It seems like everyone's on the same page. And I don't know that that would have been the case if there was any other hire here. Uh, Also, I think keeping Elijah Robinson on staff is huge too. Uh, He was instrumental during this stretch as the interim coach, extremely popular. If he can keep him on board, and continue to with the big, big time salary pool that they have only add to that. Um, I think, like you said, you don't bring a coach in for continuity, but in this case, it's more about what Mike Elko can do to raise the bar there based upon what he's Duke, what he, what he did at Duke. And also what he did as uh, as defensive coordinator there.
0: Yeah. And, and, uh, if there's any information on this, I'm, I apologize. I've, I've missed it. There's a lot going on, but, um as far as offensive coordinator, I believe they—they they, he had a pretty good one at Duke. You would know better than I. Uh, Bobby Petrino, obviously, you know, already in place at College Station. If you're Mike Elko, where, where would you go? Would you keep Bobby Petrino? Would you try to bring the guy from Duke? Or would you – it's been revealed they have an $11 million salary pool. So uh, I, I would imagine he can – with that figure, I mean, you, you can attract – any candidate in the country, where would you go if you're Mike Elko for uh, an offensive coordinator?
2: I think if you can make it work, isn't keeping Petrino pretty intriguing? Um, I think the last couple games, especially on Saturday. uh, And and then of course the game before without Fisher's interference in the play calling, there's a lot to like about what Jalen Henderson was doing. And I know it will be different next year. Uh, with Connor Wigman, I, I think Bobby Petrino, despite all of his faults as a head coach and everything else, I think he's still a pretty dang good uh play caller. And so, I, I think if you can make it work, it makes sense. Kevin Johns is his offensive coordinator at Duke, they were last in the ACC in scoring in the year before they they arrived there, and I think they were eighth this year in scoring and fifth the year before. And again, the offensive numbers at Duke this year are skewed a little bit because of their quarterback injuries, but they were significantly better on that side of the ball. But I think if you're talking, who would you rather have? I think you'd rather have Bobby Petrino if you can make it work.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I, and I certainly don't want to just completely overlook uh, Jeff Levy to uh, Mississippi State. So uh, can you share your thoughts on that, Stephen? And, uh, you know, I, I've heard some snickering from uh, Ole Miss fans. Hey, they're they're getting Lane Kiffin light here. They're trying to be just like us. Well, as I understand it, Stephen, and, and I was totally unaware of this, but uh, apparently Lane Kiffin and Jeff Lebby are are not on good terms. And a lot of that had to do with uh, Kiffin firing Randy Clements, former offensive line coach. Now he's the offensive line coach at North Carolina. I would be surprised if he's not your next offensive line coach at Mississippi State. But if you recall, they fired him. I believe in the middle of spring practice, uh, about a, about a year or two ago, and not long after that, Jeff Libby left there as well. So, I don't know if it's bad blood, but uh, you know, this ain't just two buddies here. This is—I uh, I think that that adds a little layer to it to me to that egg bowl rivalry.
2: I'm glad you said that because I think based upon Lane Kiffin's uh, Twitter uh, kind of uh, polls and, and retweets and just his his log recently. Uh, I kind of just assumed that it was just a little friendly banter between the two of them because they were uh, because, of course, like you mentioned, uh, Levy was on his staff before. So I guess it's adding a little spice. I mean, as if as if the Egg Bowl really needed any more spice. Right. Uh, We got a little bit more. But I, I think, first of all, if if you think about college football, like the modern era of college football, like let's just say it's like 2000 and on any kind of coach that's won at Mississippi State has pretty much been an offensive-minded head coach. You think about Dan Mullen, you think about Mike Leach. So I think Jeff Levy is sort of in that mold of offensive-minded coach that could be hard to prepare for doing something a little different. It's, not, it's totally different than what Zach Arnett and that staff was doing. So I think if you're looking for the positives, I think he gets the SEC, he's coached there before, the offensive angle, I like it, and I think you also have to just like the the idea of being a, a team that's difficult to prepare for that can also probably go get players right away from the portal at quarterback and receiver who want to play in a high-powered offense. His offenses at Oklahoma were incredibly productive. There was some frustration this year from a lot of Oklahoma fans about some certain specific uh, calls against Oklahoma State. But over 40 points a game, over 500 yards a game this year – at Oklahoma, so the production was there. The only thing he really lacks in this case is just head coaching experience. But Dan Mullen was the first-time head coach at Mississippi State, so you just—that's the kind of the theme with all of head coaching hires. You just never know; it's a crapshoot. I think it's pretty solid for Mississippi State. Would I have preferred a Jamie Chadwell, a Willie Fritz, or John Sumrall? Probably, but I also get it uh, why Mississippi State's hiring Jeff Levy,
0: right? Yeah, and I think they certainly tried to get Chadwell, but I don't think they, as I understand it, could get him to to come there. But yeah, I think um, I think about twenty five percent of the the SEC's running this offensive scheme now, it, and it's been so successful, so certainly not knocking it. But I say all the time, Stephen, and I'll hold to it, and, and hell, I'm wrong all the time, so take what I say with a grain of salt. But I would never hire. A head coach that's never done it, not in the SEC, because there's heck. We gave the last guy ten games. You know what I mean? I mean, there there is no room for for learning on the job, particularly at Mississippi State, where it's a very difficult job. And if they come out next season and win four games, not saying that's going to happen, but if they do, he's on the hot seat immediately. And he may be one of the best coaches in college football in ten years, but they'll never know because he'll be gone. But before then, so. I don't know. I, I think you got to take that all in consideration. And is is it fair, Stephen, to say this is, um, you know, kind of swinging for the fences and, and kind of like it's going to be a home run or it's going to be a strikeout? And for me, it's it's kind of hard to see an in between right now. And 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 again, there there may be, there may there may be, but we have no knowledge of him building a staff. We have no knowledge of him building a recruiting board. I hear he's very popular with his players, so I, again, I'm not questioning any of that. But uh, it's it's a little bit different when you got to you got to meet with these boosters, you got to do NIL meetings, you got to you got to do this, you got to do that. You got you have to be everywhere. We have no knowledge that he can handle any of this. So, um, do you, do you think it's fair to say this is uh, you know boomer bust type hire?
2: I actually think that's a perfect way to describe it. Like I I was trying to think after Levy was hired, like it it really does seem like this is going to work out really, really well, or it's going to be like a bunch of four and eight seasons that it ends quickly for him. And and I think to your point, it's like you look at the Mike Oko hire, he got a little bit of seasoning at Duke and now he's coming back into the SEC. You think about, okay, what, what coaches are on the hot seat next year in the sec and you can point to maybe billy napier sam Pittman, clark lee i mean it's a little bit of a stretch but like shane beamer maybe like what's what's a common denominator for for most of them three out of the four didn't have head coaching experience at the fbs level before they were hired there so i I always prefer guys who have head coaching experience but i also think in this new era of college football where you almost have to be as good at the organizational stuff that I think we have to be a little bit more open-minded to maybe more of like the CEO-type coaches where they're just hiring good assistants. They're they're really good at roster management. That's a little bit different in this case because I think Lebby is going to be very much hands-on with the offense. So I, I guess all that to be said, I would always prefer guys who have head coaching experience. But I think, to your point, if you can't get Chadwell and you don't think you could get Fritz because he's not going to interview until after the... AAC championship game, and maybe the same thing with some raw. You want to move quick. Lebby's got experience in the conference, and you think there might be some potential here to be like a huge home run type hire. You're going to score a ton of points, I'm sure. So it's really going to be uh, popular in that regard. So, so yeah, I, I think it. I think it's good. Very much could be a very boomer bust hire, but. If you have to move quick, he's available because he's a coordinator and he's not a head coach waiting for a conference championship game. Right.
0: Well, how ironic, Steven. I wanted to ask you about some of these coaches that uh, coming off a rough season. And we, let's start with Billy Napier. I kind of go back and forth with old Billy. You know, I was even though they've been losing, I've been kind of impressed with the offense, particularly. Uh, again, they're, they're, they keep losing, but they're close games. Teams fighting hard. Pushed Mizzou to the limit. LSU, Florida State. Heck, they they had complete control of Florida State for a while. But Stephen, here's my issue. Here we got we got players spitting. We got, you know, quarterback sliding. He's not going to get even close to the first down marker. We got two guys blasting them. We're running double reverse passes when we got all the momentum in the world and we're we're damn near in field goal range and you know could have went up. 20 plus points on Florida state, but we just, we just kind of blew it. And I don't think there's any world. Billy Napier gets fired unless there's some scandal this, this calendar year. So he's coming back. But Stephen, if we, if we got more of spitting and, and the stupid stuff, having two guys on the field with the same Jersey and looking completely unprepared, we, we can't blame it on youth anymore. Next season, it's, I don't even know if there's going to be any Mullen holdovers. Uh, I I feel like Billy Napier, short of maybe Sam Pittman, is is on the hottest seat in the SEC. Is that fair?
2: That's one hundred percent fair. Uh, I think by year three, if you don't have a winning season at Florida or tangible progress, then I think you're very much on the hot seat, or you're coaching your way out of the SEC. I think on something you said there, you know, it feels like a lot of small things this year have added up in big ways for Florida. It's the discipline in the Florida State game. You know, the the uh, the silly like trick pass killed the entire momentum. The the penalties against, uh, you know, Florida State, the spitting, the hitting the quarterback that helped Florida State win the game. I mean, it was a very winnable game. Florida had Florida State on the ropes at one point in Florida state sort of stabilized itself, but it's, it's the small things like that. It's the discipline, it's strange play calling. It's the special teams. It's kind of a strange uh, sideline, lack of organization for a a team. That's got a lot of people on staff at times. So those kind of things by year two, I'm not sure you should be seeing if you're a coach like, like Billy Napier with the experience that he had at Louisiana and Florida, So I I think if you're Napier and you're looking for a reason for optimism and and you're trying to sell your fans on something, I think you have to sell the bulk of the two deep is coming back next year. The preseason expectations had Florida at somewhere five or six victories. They finished five and seven. They were a handful of plays away from beating Missouri and Florida State maybe. So you can sell a lot of players are coming back. You're adding a good uh, recruiting class. And also you may have your quarterback in Graham Mertz. And if he doesn't work out, you've got a five-star coming in a quarterback. So you have some things to sell. And if you're Billy Napier, you can sell quarterback development. Mertz was considered maybe the worst quarterback in the SEC, and he's been a lot better uh, this year. But I think what would worry me is when I look at the defense and I see where they are statistically, how they played this year, that side of the ball is still a big question. I'm not sure that that is just an offseason away from getting better. And just how do you clean up all of the small errors that we talked about? Like, those two things seem to be the biggest hurdles for me uh, for Billy Napier this offseason.
0: Yeah, and to his credit, I mean, he's making changes already. Corey Raymond, very popular around coaching circles. He's fired. Uh, I I think it was Sean Spence, defensive line coach. He's out, too. So, again, these are popular guys, but defense was a huge issue, so... Yeah, you know, hopefully for the Gators, this kind of corrects some of those issues. Maybe they just didn't, you know, the cohesion was not there with Austin Armstrong. I'm not sure, but uh, also, also I think fair to wonder too: Will Billy Napier hire an offensive coordinator
2: or maintain play calling um, duties? Because it does seem like it. Sometimes there has been some strange play calling. I I like the development of like Graham Mertz and some of these, the usage of some things. But there has been some strange play calling at times, and maybe he just has too much on his plate, which maybe you hire an offensive coordinator
0: and that fixes some of that. Are you ready to elevate your college football game day experience? Check out Twisted Tea, your go-to game beverage for college football fans. Twisted Tea is unlike any hard beverage you've had before. It's made with real brewed tea and picks a flavorful punch. 5% 5% alcohol, and no carbonation, delivering the perfect balance of taste and refreshment that goes down smooth for every game day occasion. No need to settle for the usual. Twisted Tea turns up any occasion, especially when you're cheering on your favorite SEC team. Twisted Tea, the drink that fuels fun and celebrates your love of college football. Keep it twisted. The podcast is also brought to you by GameTime. Head on over to GameTime.Co and use promo code that, S-E-C, T-H-A-T, sec for $20 off your first purchase. Buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful. GameTime is a fast and easy way to buy tickets for all sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. GameTime is the place for the last-minute ticket sales. Forget planning months in advance. GameTime has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. Head on over to GameTime.co. Snag tickets without the stress. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code that SEC for twenty bucks off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem that SEC for twenty bucks off. Download the Game Time app today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Well, and speaking of hot seats, Stephen, I mean, it's got to be Sam Pitman, probably on the hottest of hot seats, maybe even in the country. Uh, I mean, I got fans anytime we do one of these shows steven they're like what are we doing the emergency pittman has been fired show you know what i mean like it's it's awful now i root for the guy but uh this is now two seasons in a row we were you know uh falling short of expectations doesn't sound like kj jefferson will be back and, and he was one of the few things we had to cling to just had a uh, big linebacker entered the portal we have to get a, an offensive coordinator in here, and, and it's got to be an elite one. So, uh, thoughts on on Sam Pittman and the likelihood that um, you know that he's even the coach in twenty twenty five. What's your thoughts on that? I, I think first of all, when you're talking about like you know the fans, and
2: you know when is the Sam Pittman um, kind of firing episode going to be? That's also part of the problem in this is is because if you think about. After that announcement was made, uh, and even before that, you know the fact that they got blown out by thirty plus points to Auburn and lost to Missouri by thirty plus points. It's a good thing that they made that announcement um, when they did, because after the Missouri game, that noise probably only would have gotten uh, significantly larger. So in some ways, the vote of confidence probably came at the right time uh, for Sam Pittman, which also which brings me to next season, which is every time Arkansas loses a game, you know exactly what's going to happen. Is it's gonna be the hot seat? Is this it for Sam Pittman? So he's in a very, I think, i precarious position here. You know, I, I think that it's very perilous to that to think that his tenure is going to be able to go on uh past uh the, the twenty you know into twenty twenty five, twenty twenty-six. Uh of the coaches that we'll talk about here, I think I'm probably the least confident in right now. I think number one, you've got to hire an offensive coordinator you give Sam Pittman a lot of credit for transfers plus coordinator on the defensive side of the ball. That side of the ball is better than it was last year, but can you bring in enough from the quarterback offensive line receiver coordinator to sort of uh, microwave a very productive offense in a very short amount of time? It's possible, but I also think kind of the, the trend line here and just the overall momentum for Arkansas is not good. Credit to Arkansas, I think this season too for fighting in that very, uh, very difficult stretch there where they played LSU, A and M, Ole Miss, and Alabama. One of the most difficult stretches of the season. They fought hard. At the end of the year, it fell apart, and now they have even more questions. And it's hard with a coach on the hot seat, I think, to go out and be able to hire a very uh, good offensive coordinator because they may only have the job for ten games or so.
0: Right, and. You know, if uh, Hunter, you check, he'll never admit this. But if he's being honest, you think he regrets uh, making that proclamation before the Missouri game? Or or do you think these guys are maybe not as knee-jerk as a lot of us? And <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. What's your thoughts on that?
2: I think he's probably not as knee-jerk as we are. And he's probably <laughs> not as knee-jerk as the fans probably wanted to be. Um, I, I think, and I don't know whether this plays into this or not, I think does it help Sam Pittman that he is well liked there compared to some of the other coaches looking at you Jimbo uh, that were maybe a little bit on more on the abrasive side of things. I think Sam Pittman being a very popular likable person could have helped him. Also, if Mississippi state couldn't hire Jamie Chadwell, what does, does that tell us something about the coaching market? I don't, I don't know if it does or not. But I'm sure that a lot of these ADs and agents are talking. And if there's a lot of inclination that, hey, maybe this guy doesn't want to move this year. Instead of paying a buyout and getting into the unknown, you know what you have next year. And maybe you can just go out and pay big for an offensive coordinator. If you have to guarantee his contract for two years, you do it. But it's better than spending... $30 $30 million to buy out one staff and hire another. And you just have even more questions
0: because you don't want
2: to end up with another
0: Chad Morris, basically. Right. And what's your thoughts on uh, Shane Beamer entering next season? Cause again, we, we just missed a bowl for the first time, which is not good, obviously, but, uh, I you know exceeded expectations. First two years. I think that's fair to say. Um, I had it, someone put it to me like this, Steven, They, You know, Shane Beamer is who they thought he was, and then he upset Tennessee, he upset Clemson, and they thought, okay, we got something, and then he's back to who who they thought he was this year. So, I mean, that's kind of a sad way to say it, and I'm not sitting here saying we should fire Shane Beamer because I think he's shown promise, but he doesn't have the greatest reputation um, outside of Columbia. You know, take that for what it's worth. And, I mean, I I even got – head coaches in this league reaching out to me with with their issues with Shane Beamer and again they they shouldn't care about that at all at south carolina not if the guys winning but um you know he's made some questionable coordinator hires and where will this team be without Spencer Rattler that's that's a huge huge looming question um yeah so where where do you put Shane Beamer do you think he enters the season on the hot seat and you know like like let's say if they miss a bowl game again um I don't know. Could he survive that? Do you think?
2: I think he can. Um, I, I don't think he's on the hot seat. I think I would characterize him as it's maybe starting to get a little warm, but not warm in the sense of like, he's, if he has a bad year, he's on the hot seat. I think we're looking more at like 2025 or so. I think you have to give Shane Beamer a little bit of, I don't know, credit for navigating so many injuries. I mean, South Carolina's offensive line was beat up this year. They lost Juice Wells for a significant portion of the season. I, I I probably came into the year thinking that six and six or seven and five was probably the, the ceiling for this team based upon the schedule. So the fact that they came to five and seven on the doorstep, if they just win that Florida game, I think maybe we're having a completely different conversation here. They were close. And so I, I think if you give him another offseason, as long as the recruiting momentum continues, you get healthier on the offensive line you sort of restock your, uh, you know, your, your skill positions, quarterback room, if you need to go out and get a transfer to compete with uh, sellers, you know, I, I think you could easily see this team back in a bowl uh, game next year. The schedule was very difficult this year. It's going to be challenging again next year with the the new uh, teams coming into the league, but I don't think hot seat yet, but I think next year would be pretty crucial to get back to at least to a bowl game.
0: Yeah. And I say, I'm, you know, I say this, um, with the with the m- utmost respect, Stephen. But those fans are crazy down there at South Carolina, and I love them for it. They just got high expectations. They, you know, they they want to win. They want to win big, and that can help you. That can hurt you. I mean, because they'll, they'll turn on you, um, on on a damn dime here. But um, but the the only other guy I think I, I was going to ask you about Stephen Clark Lee. And I hate it. I hate it. I was, I was railing about this on our last show, just how basically any time an SEC team plays Vanderbilt, it's a bye week. It's, you know, we had this great week of rivalry games, and it's like Tennessee's irrelevant because they're playing Vanderbilt. And, and it, it kind of is what it is. But uh, if if Vanderbilt were to go 0-8 in SEC play again next season, would they bring Clark Lee back? And my, my opinion is they would because I don't think they really care about football. But what's your thoughts? I think they would.
2: Um, personally, I probably wouldn't. If I was calling the shots there, at Vanderbilt, I know that he inherited a mess, and there was a lot of work to be done there. But by year four, if the five and seven season in twenty twenty two is the outlier, and you've got three zero and eight seasons in SEC play. I think that's pretty telling. Um, I think the other alarming thing about Vanderbilt is Clark Lee's a defensive guy. Why is Vanderbilt ranked last in the sec in points allowed for two consecutive years? Even if this team was 0 and 8 in sec play, I still thought that when he was hired, that at least the defense would be somewhat competitive. It would be maybe not a shutdown group, but they would cause problems and they, they had, they could lean on that while they figured out the offense. And, um, it just has not been very good uh, under Clark Lee's watch. So I think that's a little alarming. The backdrop of all this is Vanderbilt's doing some things with their stadium and some of the facilities like we've seen this year. Um, he talked about a, a multi-year plan when he was hired, but at some point you have to show progress. And I think 2024 would be a good time to start doing so because Oh, and eight in the sec, you know, apathy sets in at some point when you have uh You know, potentially a two and thirty record in SEC
0: play if if they go zero and eight next year. Yeah. Uh, Any other coaches that you'll have your eye on, and not that this guy's on any kind of hot seat, and not that they should fire him, but Mark Stoops winning his coach in Kentucky history. But um, I I heard it. I'm going to steal this because I I didn't come up with it, but it was like he got caught at the restaurant with his girlfriend this weekend. You know, with all this A and M stuff. I think that's a perfect analogy. But um, him or anyone else that, again, that that is entering a huge, huge season next year.
2: That's a great analogy, by the way. Um, (laughs) I I think first, yeah, I think, you know, I want to see, I'm just, first of all, I'm curious about the backdrop with Texas and Oklahoma coming into the league. What does it do for a a lot, just to to see how it shapes out with some of these other programs? Because, you know, I want to see like Missouri, can they continue to build off of this next season? You also have, um, you know, like a a program like Auburn. Like, I'm curious, does Hugh Freeze get back, get kind of Auburn closer to being back on track? I think Brian Kelly at LSU, I don't think, you know, I should mention these coaches aren't anywhere close to the hot seat. I think it's just more of me being intrigued about where their place is in the SEC and what it might mean. Uh, So I I think just sort of figuring out what the new entrants mean, can some of these coaches build on what we saw this year? Does someone like Brian Kelly get LSU closer to, um, in- to conference title contention after maybe a little bit of a disappointing year? There's really not many coaches on the hot seat outside of the ones we talked about. I think it's just kind of maybe a a year-to-judge trajectory, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, no, I gotcha. you. Well, two teams that uh, they're not having any of these concerns, Stephen, and that's, of course, Alabama, Georgia, and the SEC championship game. Yeah, the season's... Well, the regular season anyway, I guess, is over for most, but uh biggest game of the SEC year to date is still to come in Atlanta this Saturday. Cannot wait for this matchup and uh, this this will be a first one in a while, Stephen. I guess since um uh, I guess since it was Georgia and Alabama. <laughs> but you know, a lot of times we get these SEC championship games that are not very competitive and it's almost like Man, they should have if only they could have sent two of the west teams or two of the i mean I mean even last year I mean of course Hendon Hooker was hurt but you know let's live in a world where he didn't get hurt Tennessee versus Georgia in the SEC that would have been a hell of a lot better than the game we got uh, but this time we're getting we're getting the two best in the SEC of course maybe Missouri you know they they would have an argument otherwise but two of the at least three best in this monumental showdown and um, I mean, do you think it's going to be a ball game? Do you think, or could one of these teams run away with it? What, what's your early read on this game? I think we'll have a ball game.
2: Um, it's the third time since 2018 that these two teams have played in the SEC championship game. And you think about how epic uh, some of these games have been recently between these two teams. Always playing with high stakes, I think, is, is the, the interesting angle. And there's a ton to stake obviously this Saturday, it's not just the sec championship. There's implications for something uh, bigger beyond that. And it could mean that one team gets in the playoff for the sec. It could mean two, it could mean none. So I think the, the backdrop to all this is Georgia is now uh, in the, in the pole position. You have Alabama sort of in hunt mode because the angles have reversed. You know, Georgia used to be kind of looking up at Alabama I think this year is Alabama looking up at Georgia and trying to do what they did in 2021, which is pull off the upset, you know, go into Atlanta with one loss and beat Georgia and get to the college football playoff. So high stakes, uh, a lot of stake within the SEC and nationally, but also the way that this sort of series has shifted in the last couple of years is also pretty intriguing and also sort of, at your question, I do think we'll be we'll have a pretty competitive game on Saturday.
0: What do you think has a better quarterback in this matchup, uh, Jaylen Milroe or, or Carson Beck? Who do, you, who do you think is playing better football right now?
2: It's a great question. Um, you know, Carson Beck didn't have his best game against Georgia Tech on Saturday. I don't read too much into that game. If I'm Georgia, I think it was more survive. Let's get to let's get back to Atlanta next week to play. Alabama in the SEC championship game. Jalen Milrow brilliant brilliant um, against Auburn uh, on the ground and through the air. I think based upon last week, I think Jalen Milroe's playing a little bit better, but I think over the course of the season, uh, I like the way Carson Beck has played it, when it, and when we come to all SEC voting at the end of the year, I will probably vote Carson Beck just ahead of Jalen Milrow, but it's close. Um, I think they're both playing at a top 10 level nationally. And also I think, Within the season, both of these guys came into this year as unknowns. And I think the the development of those two was sort of going to guide the trajectory. And Carson Beck, that second half against Auburn, and how much he gained confidence and grew up, and it's carried throughout the year. But Georgia just can can now rely on him to go out and execute in those type of situations. And for Alabama, you think about the loss to Texas, wasn't sure what was going to happen. After that, offensively, especially in that ugly win against South Florida, Jalen Milrow became a superstar in the second in the second half of the season. So I think it's it's interesting that both programs at quarterback went into the year with some uncertainty and came out with two superstars that are going to be top 10 quarterbacks this year and certainly uh, next year in
0: 2024. Which team do you think has the better defense? Because they they both shown some flaws. Again, last week maybe a little bit of an outlier, but they both were run on quite effectively. Um, you know, it, uh, the lone highlight for the Tennessee, but I mean, right out the the game they scored a touchdown. They didn't do anything the rest of the day of game. But uh, I, I don't know, because this this certainly seems to me, Stephen, to be the and again, worse is probably the wrong word, but it's the it's probably if you were to rank this year's defense with the last two for Georgia, I don't think it's, you know, without a shadow of a doubt, this this is the the worst of those. But again, we're talking about two national champions here. So uh, who do you think's got the better defense in this showdown?
2: I would probably lean Georgia, but not by much, to your point. Um, One area that would worry me if I'm Georgia, the rush defense you know they're giving up almost a full yard more against the run than they did last season and you think about what auburn did and you think about georgia tech and some of those runs sort of stretching in missouri too like you get to the edge of the of the perimeter you know the edge of the defense teams have had success there so if i'm alabama whatever combination of jace mcclellan if he's healthy Jalen milrow uh the combination maybe of those two like there probably is going to be some plays to be made on the ground i also think we've seen this this year georgia gives up a touchdown early they figure things out and the rest of the game is an absolute nightmare for the opposing uh offense so uh, alabama is certainly better at getting to the quarterback uh with dallas turner and braswell i think um georgia's secondary if it's healthy and everyone's there and of course Jamon Dumas Johnson I don't I don't guess he's probably going to be there getting those guys back would help I, again it's a toss-up I would probably lean Georgia do you do you have a strong lean in this one
0: I think i I think I I would probably go Alabama I think they're a little bit better on defense um, but but again it's it's by by the thinnest of margins here I'm talking here because Georgia certainly you know, they, they are capable of shutting you down. You know, I, I just have nightmares of that Tennessee game after the opening play. But uh, how, how about this question, Stephen? Uh, what is a, a weakness that each team has that you think the other team can exploit, if that makes sense? Is, is there anything that stands out to you that, that Alabama can exploit on Georgia and vice versa?
2: Yeah, it's a really good question because I think you know, we, we kind of touched on it a little bit with the defensive chatter there. I, I think, it, to your point, I think like you're talking about thinnest of margins. It, this, these two teams are like top 10 defenses. So if you're talking like one's better than the other, one is like fifth and the other is like eighth or third or fifth nationally, there's not much difference. I think if I'm Georgia, I think what would worry me is some of the, like I said, the, the if he plays sometimes against the run. Like, if Milroe and the running backs get going, it's not that they may have success, but it's also they could kind of control the tempo of this game. Um, because I think if you're Alabama, a little bit lower scoring game probably plays to your benefit. So I think if you're Georgia, you would love to get Alabama sort of out of that and force them to be throwing more, you know, not allowing Milroe to sort of dictate the game with his legs. Um, Alabama proved it could win a shootout earlier this year when they played LSU. I just think they'd probably rather have a little bit more balance offensively. So I think if you're Georgia, you worry about Milroe and the running game, sort of seeing what some of these teams have done and being able to exploit that. And I think on the Georgia side of things, maybe one angle would be Alabama secondary in games against teams that had high profile quarterbacks like Texas, like LSU, I think if you protect your guy at quarterback, I think there are plays to be made against the secondary. Again, you're kind of looking for like the slightest of margins here because these teams are so good. Um, but Texas threw for 349 yards. Jane Daniels had some success before getting hurt. So I think Carson Beck is protected with the weapons. I think Georgia can move the ball uh, through the air. And if you're Georgia, I think you'd like to test Alabama's offensive line. Maybe it's not you're not getting the sacks, you're not getting the tackles for loss, but we have seen that this offensive line at times, even though it's gotten better, is not the elite Alabama offensive line that we've seen in Atlanta and some of these SEC championship games.
0: Right. And man, Georgia's just got so many weapons. They're just, you know, if you try to focus on one thing, there's there's three or four other guys that can kill you. Um and and I think Steven, I, Let me ask you this, (laughs) which coordinator are fans going to be more upset with come Saturday night, Mike Bobo or Tommy Reese?
2: Oh, man, can't you imagine this game coming down to like a goal line stand and Georgia (laughs) not running the ball and we have to hear the run the ball, Bobo, uh, (laughs) things for all summer long? Um, I'm going to guess it's going to be Tommy Reese. Because I, I well, maybe we can talk about a prediction here in a few minutes. But I might be, t- I might be uh, tipping my pick here. I, I think, I think Bobo and and Kirby Smart are are going to have a uh, solid game plan. If if fans are upset with one coordinator, it's going to be Tommy Reese after this game.
0: <laughs> yeah, all right, yeah. So that's what I was going to ask you if you got an early prediction and provided things can change throughout the week, maybe if some key players are out or anything, but. Um, it, do you have an early prediction for this ball game?
2: I do. So a couple of keys that I'm going to be watching. I think if you're Alabama, you've got to be able to pressure Carson Beck. I think you've got to be able to get the run game going. And I think you got to get a couple of big plays from Milroe in the passing game. Like we saw Saturday, the big play from Milroe to Jermaine Burton. You're going to need a couple of those. So kind of a standard formula uh, if you're Alabama. So those are kind of a couple of things that I'm watching. And I think if you're Georgia, don't give up the big plays in the passing game and sort of control uh, Milro in the pocket in the Alabama running game. Few things I'm watching. All that being said, I'll throw this out there. I think Alabama might be the, the team that gives Georgia the hardest game the rest of the year. I, I'm not sure that Michigan, I'm not sure that Florida State, Oregon, or Washington can match up as close as Alabama does. So I think this might be Georgia's toughest test the rest of the year. Mm -hmm. All that being said, I'm getting to my prediction. I like Georgia in a close one in the SEC championship game. I think another thriller.
0: So you may have just answered this, but provided there's no like devastating injuries, God forbid, but I mean, is this really, this is really like the national championship game, don't you think? I think so. Um, You know, injuries, I think certainly could
2: shape this playoff a little differently. And it, it already did, because I, I do think if Florida State had Jordan Travis, I think that offense could give Georgia's defense a lot of trouble. I don't think they would have won, but I think they would have been a, a, a good matchup for this uh, Georgia team. Watching Michigan, I, I just I don't know there's going to be enough in the passing game to threaten Georgia if they meet in the national championship. Certainly Washington's defense would be no uh, match for Georgia's <laughs> offense. Oregon is interesting. Uh, because I do think that they play a little bit of defense and certainly Dan Lanning and, of course, Bo Nix. So Oregon, I think, would be interesting, but I still think that, by far, if you told me all of these teams the rest of the way, I think Alabama would be the toughest matchup for Georgia, barring something changing that the rest of the year.
0: And you, you hinted at this, uh, breaking this game down, but do you, th- you think there's some kind of any psychological edge for uh... Alabama being being the hunter instead of the hunted and, and just you know for a year or it plus you know having to hear about how good Georgia is and and how they're the, they're the real dynasty now and I've not seen it from Georgia but you have to wonder at some point you know like if you watch that god-awful Florida Netflix documentary <laughs> they basically said football is not fun and you know by by the end of it it was just it was just you win or you're just a failure, and and even even you know s- slight wins were not celebrated by those Gators because that's not they were being judged by, and that's not how this Georgia is being judged. they they're they'll only be judged it's a it's a it's a win if you, if you win it all. It's a complete failure if you lose by one point in the national championship game, which it's probably not the way it should be, but it's just that's the reality of it. So uh, any psychological edge for Alabama in this matchup? Potentially,
2: um, I think because I I guess I would look at like this. If I'm the underdog, if you're Alabama, like you're not the favorite. I think Alabama sort of expects to win, though, um, just because I think, you know, though, the success they've had and I think Nick Saban, I think the standard like they expect to go into Atlanta and win this game. But I think if you're Nick Saban, you're printing up all the Vegas spreads and you're probably going to, you know post like pictures of my like game breakdown on the internet all over the (laughs) facility that shows georgia winning and and all that I, i guess to your point if i was in this position alabama being the hunter instead of the hunted is probably where i would like to be it's a little different like i said because georgia's kind of been in this role and now alabama's going into the sec championship game loose uh sort of nothing to lose i mean nick saban's uh, laughing at the end of the the Iron Bowl because I mean I you know hey um yeah I think I would rather be uh, uh, the hunter in this scenario and instead of having the favorite status and the pressure on me if I'm Georgia right but I I don't I don't think Georgia I guess I should say I don't think either team's intimidated by each other either like I think that's what makes it interesting too
0: mm-hmm. well I know uh, certainly Steven the last couple of weeks fans have really appreciated your bowl predictions or, or bowl projections excuse me for the SEC. But uh, before we get to those real quick, um, you know, is there a scenario to where there is a, a no SEC teams in the playoff? And I, I have to imagine, I mean, it, it, it's kind of obvious. If, if Georgia wins, there, there's no shot they're getting left out. But is there a scenario to where Alabama wins and and all the teams get left out? And is there a scenario where Alabama wins on Saturday, and both Georgia and Alabama make the playoff. What's your thoughts on that?
2: Yes. Uh, To answer your questions, yes, uh, all of them are are possibilities. So first of all, I would say I would be surprised if the SEC gets left out because I I think if Alabama wins, yes, Texas would have the head-to-head edge, but Alabama would have just beaten the committee's number one team. They would also have a win over LSU team that they'll you know they have in the top 15. They'll have a win over Ole Miss. That's a pretty solid resume. It's hard to leave Alabama out. Also, Florida State still has to get past Louisville. So there's a lot still at stake this weekend. So I would be really surprised if the SEC gets left out. If you wanted to make a scenario that they would, it would be just that. It would be Alabama wins but the committee keeps both alabama and georgia out. Texas getting that last spot provided florida state uh wins as well. And in that scenario you would get like Michigan, Texas, the Pac-12 champion and Florida State. So if you're an SEC fan and you want to see two teams in, I think you need to root for Florida State to lose. Um, and then maybe even root for Texas to lose to Oklahoma State in the Big 12 championship game, and there's a path to get two SEC teams in the College Football Playoff. Hmm. Interesting.
0: All right. So let's get into uh, your your latest SEC Bowl projections. Which obviously we only got uh, Alabama and Georgia remaining. So I have to think um, you know there, there's not there's little that can affect these moving forward, but um, you still got. Georgia in the playoff.
2: Absolutely. So Georgia is my number one projected team for the college football playoff. And I've got them playing in the sugar bowl against old sec friends, Dan Lanning and Bo <laughs> Nix and the Oregon ducks in the first round of the playoff. Oh, Bo, he just can't, he can't avoid them dogs. You know, what? It might be Heisman <laughs> trophy winning quarterback, Bo Nix. Although I think Jaden Daniels should win it, but that's a different story.
0: Yeah. All right. Uh, How about uh, some New Year Six matchups? You got several uh, potential SEC teams head to the New Year's Six. Absolutely. So let's start with the Cotton Bowl.
2: Um, Alabama versus Washington. I'm picking Oregon to beat Washington in the Pac-12 championship game. So I've got the loser of that game playing Alabama in the Cotton Bowl. Also, I've got Missouri versus Penn State in the Peach Bowl. Worth noting, Missouri should be in great shape. To make the new year six, it could be the Peach Bowl, it could be the Cotton Bowl, probably not as likely to be in the Fiesta Bowl, but they are in very good shape, barring some sort of chaotic uh, rankings shenanigans by the committee this week.
0: <laughs> yeah, come on, we gotta give, we gotta throw Mizzou a bone here for this out. Heck, I, I mean, I would make the argument they may be the second best team in the SEC. So, what uh, to not have them in the in the new year six would be disgraceful, I think
2: agree with you yeah they've not only have they earned it at this point of the year based upon where they are in the committee's rankings if they moved missouri out of that slot they're just doing it out of like some spite or some weirdness (laughs) to put some other team in there because there's no other like reason to move them down they should be in the new year's six based upon the wins and also from where the committee has liked
0: in the last couple weeks right and so uh, interesting here, Stephen, um, I get th- these are our SEC cousins here. You got Texas Tulane in the Fiesta Bowl. That, does that mean are you projecting that the Longhorns lose or do you think they, they win the Big 12 but still get left out of the playoff? I think
2: they win the Big 12 and they fall just short of the college football playoff. So I've got them in the Fiesta Bowl uh, to take on Tulane. This also gets at the problem of slotting in Missouri because – I think even though they, I I don't believe Missouri and Texas are going to play next year, if I remember the schedules correctly. So I think they'll try to avoid even SEC, SEC matchups, even though they don't play next year. So I think that's kind of the problem of seeding Missouri is because you have Alabama, you have Texas. If that's not a problem, you could see Missouri uh, playing maybe Texas in the Fiesta bowl and sort of a old big 12 uh, game and a new (laughs) SEC game
0: going forward. But yeah, Texas, Lane in the Fiesta Bowl well, and this is why Texas had to come to the SEC because they never you you can win a big 12 and get left out but never shall you win a big the SEC and get left out of the college football playoff that's a guarantee
2: hey they they could use a little help in the uh maybe strength of schedule department uh to try and catch <laughs> uh, one of those teams in the playoff they got a good win over uh over Kansas State um but you know kind of a shame that uh Oklahoma wasn't in there. I would love to have seen an Oklahoma-Texas rematch oh. of the Big 12 championship game.
0: I was rooting for it, man. Yeah. BYU <laughs> let me down the last weekend.
2: Yeah, I, I know what you mean, man. I was rooting for uh, uh G- Dylan Gabriel versus Quinn Ewers part
0: two. <laughs> Fell just short. All right, and you still got LSU-Notre Dame and the Reliant Quest. Well, that's just too good of a matchup not to get, huh? Oh,
2: yeah, spicy. Talk about Brian Kelly <laughs> playing his former team uh we'll see if Jaden daniels plays in the bowl game but could be a good quarterback matchup Jaden daniels versus sam hartman of notre dame but i think the the storyline of lsu versus notre dame is just too good to pass up
0: yeah and we just could not get a more uh diverse matchup here iowa Ole miss i mean it's that's going to shake lane kiffin to his core to watch iowa film i think <laughs> yeah, Iowa's
2: got a great defense, and they might make uh, Jackson Dart and Quinshot Judkins' life difficult, but uh, offensively there are some challenges. So you would have <laughs> a great offense versus an outstanding uh, uh, defense over there in Iowa. But uh, Ole Miss getting to the Citrus Bowl I think would be a big deal. Another 10-win season falling just short of uh, the New Year's Six, barring some breaks going their way, I think.
0: Mm-hmm. And how about the the Music City Bowl, Stephen? That's emerging as a as a really great bowl annually, and as as soon as they get the new stadium, sounds like they may be in the mix for uh, the college football playoff rotation in the near future.
2: For sure, yeah, I think you'll see the Music City Bowl try to move up uh, the pecking order of the postseason, it, and and it, especially with the the stadium, I think it'll certainly it'll certainly help with that. But the, in this matchup, I've got Texas A and M versus Wisconsin. I think you want to talk about like. Um, You know, just a great matchup of two outstanding fan bases. Wisconsin fans love to travel. You've got Texas A&M. All the offseason momentum they're going to accumulate won't necessarily mean anything in a bowl game, but I think the Aggies and Badgers would be one of the more entertaining out- games outside the New Year's Six if this ends up being uh, the bowl matchup.
0: Right, and those uh, badgers, man! I can't imagine the damage they do on Broadway down there. So, <laughs> right. that'll be a good one. Yeah, uh,
2: all the all the bar owners will be very happy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> How about uh, our other SEC cousins, Stephen? You got uh, in the Alamo Bowl the the Oklahoma Sooners playing Arizona, red hot Arizona that somehow lost to Mississippi State.
2: Yeah, if I think Arizona would probably like to have that Mississippi State game <laughs> back because if they were if they played them now. I'm not sure that one would be close based upon uh, how Arizona improved, but yeah, um, Alamo Bowl, Arizona, Oklahoma. You want to talk about offense? I think if you if this matchup works out, get ready for some offensive fireworks. These two offenses were red hot at the end of the year.
0: Yeah, just like them balls. who you got facing Mag Brown in the Gator Bowl. I mean, that that'd be a pretty exciting matchup. Absolutely. I mean, I think wasn't the this
2: the uh, the Music City Bowl like? I don't know how many years ago, and it was the the crazy extra. Was that the extra man on the field
0: with the, Derek <laughs> that, Dooley, baby? Right. I mean, there was we got robbed in that one. Let me just tell right. you,
2: right. I, I didn't want to bring up any bad memories, but if uh, if Tennessee wanted to get some revenge, they might be able to do it in the Gator Bowl. Uh, North Carolina having another kind of second half slide to the season, but uh, if Drake May plays. He's one of the top quarterbacks for sure in next year's draft. Would be a good matchup for Tennessee.
0: Mm -hmm. And then the Duke Mayo Bowl, we're going to get some, uh, uh, someone's going to get the mayo bath. Could be old Stoops. Yeah, he, maybe that's why he wanted the A&M job. <laughs> <laughs> oh, against against Duke! Oh my God! Yeah, basketball game right? They might as well play a, a yeah basketball game. They get a bigger crowd down there. That
2: was, is this the uh, the Texas A and M coaching cert? The Duke's Mayo Bowl presented by Texas A and M boosters here. Uh, Mark Stoops versus my, uh, Mike Oko's old team in Duke. Yeah,
0: <laughs> and then last but not least, you got the Texas Bowl. You got Auburn and, and Oklahoma State. Um, I don't know if a single Auburn fan would go to this game after the way that that Iron Bowl ended. They're they're probably done with football for the year.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I tell you what. Um, what a what a weird like end of the season. Like there could not be more polar opposites from um the the loss to New Mexico State and a near win against Alabama. If you wanted to, you could see the SEC and the Bowl partners maybe flipping Auburn and Texas A&M here getting Texas A&M to stay in the state of Texas, meet up against an old Big 12 foe. I think Auburn-Oklahoma State would be intriguing, Um, but you're right. I think Momentum would probably be on the side of Oklahoma State coming off of its Big 12 uh, title game appearance.
0: Yeah. Oh Well, all right, Stephen, the last thing, I really appreciate your time. I I asked you to come prepared for some grading of these SEC teams here. And, you know, kind of what – I'm thinking it's just you know how, however you want to grade it, and I get it. The season's not technically over for a lot of these teams, but for me, for some of them it is. So it it didn't seem to make sense to me to to wait a couple weeks for because some of these you I would imagine you already got a grade for. So uh, l- let's just go in alphabetical order based on how the season is today. Alabama, what letter grade would you give the Crimson Tide for their their season to date?
2: I have to to give you a caveat that I've always been regarded as a very light grader. So (laughs) uh, many times people have told me they wanted me as a professor in college for this reason. So um, take that for what it's worth Uh, for Alabama. I gave him an A. Uh, So some early turmoil. I think fair to say the loss to Texas, the loss to the bad performance against South Florida, I should say. But they felt rebounded. like a loss. It felt like a loss, right? <laughs> yeah, it definitely did. Uh, so they overcame all that early uh, trouble and still found their way to get to eleven and one. They found their quarterback and they're playing for the SEC championship game. So I gave them an A. Uh, if you asked me in October, I think my grade would have been different, though.
0: Yeah. Well, we're about to find out how easy of a grader you are, Stephen. What would you give the Arkansas Razorbacks?
2: I gave him a D, uh, almost for for disappointment um, because. <laughs> You know, coming into the season, I thought they could be a seven, maybe eight win team. They had the best quarterback in the SEC in the preseason rankings in K.J. Jefferson. The loss to BYU early on kind of set the tone. Um, You give them credit for fighting, I think, in the middle of the season when the schedule was tough. But too many bad uh, showings late in the season. Disappointing losses to Mississippi State and BYU and, of course, the coaching uh, with, by Sam Pittman to hire Danny Nose and fire him during the season.
0: Yeah. All right. How about Auburn, Stephen? And I, I asked our, uh, audience to give out grades too. And one, one person got very creative. They, they gave him an E for escorts. I'm, I'm, I don't think, <laughs> I don't think you would give Auburn that, but, uh, uh, what grade would you give the Tigers?
2: Oh, um, I don't know if I could top that one. <laughs> uh, I'll go with C plus. So I think you give them some credit for pushing both Georgia and Alabama, the two best teams in the league. You got to give them a negative grade for whatever was going on with the passing game this year. It was abysmal and uh, the quarterbacks, the receivers often did not seem on the same page, whatever it was. And the loss to New Mexico State, I think they deserve. That has to impact their grade. So bowl eligible, improved, but too many questions. And I like the performances against the best teams in the league, and that's why I gave them a C
0: plus. Yeah, it would have been the most Hugh Freeze thing ever to, to lose to New Mexico State and beat Bama, but it nearly happened.
2: They, I think to some extent they probably started looking to Alabama two weeks ago before they played New <laughs> Mexico State. and Oh, yeah. A good New Mexico state team showed them what would happen if you overlooked them. Basically, (laughs) or maybe it's just Jerry kill. I don't, I mean,
0: (laughs) all right. How about uh, Florida? What grade would you give them?
2: I gave him a C minus. I really wrestled with this one because I, I gave Billy Napier a bump for getting Graham Mertz on track this year. Preseason expectations were five or six wins. They hit that range. The win over Tennessee was good. Uh, performances against LSU and Missouri near misses, but like we talked about at the start, just so many small things went wrong. So it's a C minus. I could maybe be convinced to go D plus. Um, are you? Do you think I'm too uh, kind
0: with that? Definitely. I, definitely. <laughs> I mean, I get it. I get it. But we were sitting here at five and two, and there was there was a lot of promise, you know, and. It's it's just kind of hard to get over that finish to be five and seven after being five and two. So this is uh this is a borderline F for me. Plus um, they ruined Tennessee's season, so that, that may be part of it.
2: Yeah, I think Billy Napier's texting me to see if I could be his athletic director next season. Keep-
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, probably the easiest one on the board. What what grade would you give Georgia? A plus.
2: If undefeated again, in position to win their third straight national championship. They may not be as good as they were last year, but they're still a team to beat. No blemish on the record. A plus. All right. How about uh, Kentucky? C. I think the win over Louisville probably salvaged this one uh, for Mark Stoops because the great start to the season against an easy schedule, a win over Mississippi State to get bowl eligible, and then a collapse. But a win over Louisville kind of saves them. So I gave him a C. Um, You know, I don't love the defensive regression. I don't, I didn't, the Devin Leary experiment didn't work out as well as I thought. But to get to seven to five after beating your rivals should count for something. So C for Kentucky.
0: Yeah. I almost wonder if uh, maybe AM fans just missed that Louisville game because their their game was on at the same time. And had they they known Mark Stoops won that game, maybe they would have been uh, more warmed up to old Stoops. You know what?
2: Hey, that's true. I guess, (laughs) I guess maybe uh, if you're, uh, Texas A&M. You would have just ha- like if you if you wanted Mark Stoops as your coach, you just wanted LSU to blow out A&M, and you could watch the full <laughs> game. <laughs>
0: All right. How about uh, what grade would you give LSU? I gave him a B.
2: Um, I, I you know I wrestled with this one too because I I do think they were a little disappointing, especially on defense. Uh, to to be that you know kind of where they were in the defensive statistics this year is certainly surprising to me. I, I do think. This staff deserves a ton of credit for getting Jaden Daniels to be one of the top quarterbacks in the country. Because if you watched him as a quarterback at Arizona State, I don't think you would have guessed that he would be a Heisman uh, contender just based upon how he played there. So I'm giving them credit for the Jaden Daniels development. I'm also going to give them some credit because their losses were to Ole Miss. Florida State and Alabama, three top 15 teams, Um, but slightly disappointing because they won the West last year and didn't get back this year.
0: Right, and, you know, you kind of had a sense that was coming when they lost to Ole Miss, who another 10-win season lost to the two teams that are playing for the SEC championship. So I have to imagine your your grade for Ole Miss is pretty high.
2: Absolutely. It's an A. Um, I think 10 wins again for Lane Kiffin. Uh, the only losses, like you mentioned, to Georgia and Alabama, you would like to see them close the gap maybe a little bit, and especially since Alabama was vulnerable this year, for that game to be a little bit more competitive. But still, it's hard to argue with ten wins being on the doorstep of the New Year six if you're Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss this year. And I and I like the development too of uh, Jackson Dart. A uh, nice job by the staff this year to get him to be one of the better quarterbacks
0: in the SEC. Yeah, and then on the other end of the spectrum, unfortunately, Mississippi State. What grade did you give them?
2: I gave them a D minus. Uh, the win over Arkansas and Arizona might have salvaged this from being an F. Uh, just too, too many blowout losses, regression on offense and defense. I'm, like I said, outside of Arkansas and Arizona, I'm struggling to find uh,
0: reasons to to bump this grade up any. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Missouri. Uh, that, that's got to be a really high grade for the Tigers.
2: A-plus. Uh, there's, I, I mean, certainly, uh, you, sure, would you have liked to have beaten uh, Georgia? Yeah, I mean, they pushed Georgia and Athens. They won 10 games. Uh, Cody Schrader should be an All-American. Uh, Eli Drinkowitz pushed all the right buttons as far as hiring staff, recruiting. They're going to be in the New Year's Six Bowl. To me, that's that's deserving of an A-plus. got a great season by Missouri.
0: And mm-hmm. and then how about South Carolina, where, man, as soon as those comments were made about the hot dogs, it was kind of downhill from there, wasn't it?
2: <laughs> right. Yeah, it was. Um, I gave them a C minus and I weighed preseason expectations into this because I thought they would finish somewhere in that five to seven range. If you told me they finished five and seven and I didn't see any of their games you know, I might've felt a little differently because I do think the, some of the, the way that the, def, the defense played this year in the offense kind of leads me to some bigger questions going forward. But if you give them, if they won that game against Florida, I think we're having a different conversation here, but instead they finished five and seven. The schedule was tough. They navigated a lot of injuries. So I went with C minus. Do you think I'm too nice to to South Carolina in that one?
0: Uh, yeah. I mean, you make a lot of good points. i I really thought, you know, that there was an off-season a hype that I was that I never bought into. Uh, I, I would certainly add, though, that I think Spencer Rattler, as strange as it is to say, he exceeded my expectations. But basically, the, the entire team, outside of Xavier Leggett, failed to live up to, to expectations. So, yeah, I think that's a fair grade. I really do.
2: I think those two games at the end of the regular season may have skewed sort of the expectation level for South Carolina, if that makes sense, like beating Clemson and beating Tennessee, just two offensive outliers compared to the rest of the year, probably gave us a little bit of a, a wrong impression to some that maybe they would be a lot better this year. I mean, even I, I, at one point I had them in my preseason top 25. And then I think as we went into the off season, I think you kind of realize that the roster concerns might've been a little bit greater than you thought based upon those wins, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. Well, one team that, uh, you know, it's been a roller coaster of emotions over here, Stephen Tennessee. You've talked me off the ledge a couple of times. What what would you give the Vols after going eight and four?
2: I gave them a B minus. Feel free to tell me I am too kind, but I think losing Hendon Hooker, um, losing Jay and Hyatt, if this is the low point for Tennessee's offense, That's this is still I mean, things are looking up long term um, for Tennessee. So in what was a rebuilding year, uh, to some extent, I think maybe you'd like to have one more win. But some of the losses also weren't that big of a surprise to me. And the defense got better, too. So I I gave him, like I said, B minus. Am I too kind?
0: Yeah, I think so. (laughs) (laughs) Because, again, it's just so hard to get over that Florida loss. I I don't think I think I was inexcusable. I think the fashion in which they were get, they were losing to Georgia and Missouri was inexcusable. And now could have t- totally turned it around had they had they beaten Alabama, which you may mock that that just that sentence, but they were they were in complete control of that game. They had, they had every every uh path to victory there in Tuscaloosa, but yeah, they just kept I mean I can't look at the schedule and see a, a good team that they beat a and M, Kentucky, their best wins. That that doesn't impress me.
2: You're probably right. Maybe I should have been a little harsher. Maybe like a, <laughs> like a C. Maybe.
0: Yeah, pro- I, I, that's probably where I'd put it.
2: I mean, I, I think there is something to be said. Like the losses, like you mentioned, like they weren't really competitive outside the first play against Georgia and Missouri. Going from you know where they were last season to New Year Six, completely passing Tennessee. And then a pretty much a no show by Tennessee in Gainesville; those things are concerning. But I also think if you step back and you still see like, hey, this is an eight win team a year after they lost uh, one of the better quarterbacks in the country, and they've got a superstar potentially ready to step in next year, um, maybe things aren't so bad. That's probably why I went with B minus.
0: Yeah, well, agree to disagree. All right, how about A and M? Where you got them graded after they fired Jimbo? i give i give an a for firing jimbo (laughs)
2: right yeah probably f for on field and a for (laughs) for firing jimbo fisher i went with d um seven and five which is obviously better than last year but every kind of swing toss-up game that they had they pretty much lost it you know you think about miami think about lsu Ole miss alabama um tennessee all those games were i think Sort of winnable with all the talent that A and M has, and they lost all of them. So, uh, better, but not good enough. And I, like you said, A for getting rid of the coach, but D for on field performance.
0: Yeah, well, I would imagine. Speaking of poor on field performance, Vanderbilt. What that, that's going to be an easy one, right?
2: F. Um, <laughs> I you know I tried to look at, at a reason to give them like a D minus, ten straight losses. Bottom of the SEC, basically in offense and defense, let zero and eight in conference play. I'm not. I. It's hard to find reasons to be optimistic here. I think if I'm being unfair, please feel free to call me out, Mike.
0: Nope, that's enough time on Vanderbilt as it is. <laughs> uh, how about our SEC cousins, So real quick, Oklahoma. You know, I was I was very impressed with the strides they made seemed to me they kind of ran out of steam there at the end which I, which I guess is understandable in the middle of a of a rebuild if you want to call it that but that big Texas win that that was very impressive um if I'm an Oklahoma fan I'm pretty fired up about the future absolutely
2: so last year they were 6 and 7 and I think I was on your show this off season and I said to keep an eye because they lost so many close games that they'd be a lot better this year here they are uh, ten victories and um, just on the outside of uh, the new year, six and, and finishing in the top ten. So I gave them an A minus. Uh, four wins better than last season. They beat Texas. They did run out of steam, like you said, at the end of the season. But also, I think program trajectory coming into the SEC. I think they're on rock solid foundation. Recruiting's going well. Line of scrimmage is getting better. Everything that they need to be competitive in the SEC is there. And they play a little bit of defense, although they're not quite there yet. Um, Their defense is better now than it would be if Lincoln Riley was still the head coach. So that's a positive, too.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And then how about Texas, which, hey, they don't get mentioned that often when it comes to uh, these teams still chasing a a national championship. But they're still, you know, on the on the outskirts of of achieving that only one loss. It was a big loss, no doubt. But, uh, you know, they so much hype. Always with Texas, and they always fail to live up to it. But winning at Alabama, they they lived up to it this year, no doubt.
2: I gave Texas an A for this season. Um, the only reason it's not an A plus is they seem to have this weird thing where they get ahead in games, and in the second half they sort of stumble. And we saw this against Kansas State. We saw this against Houston and TCU doesn't really matter now because they're at the the end of the season and they're playing for the chance to make the college football playoff. So all the memes, is Texas back, all that (laughs) stuff, they're they're a win away and some help for making the college football playoff and they beat Alabama and Tuscaloosa this year. So I I think that's deserving of an A and maybe I'm even being uh, too harsh on them. It might even need to be an A+. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: And, and you know all this coach talk, Stephen. I, I know I, di- I didn't. I'm throwing you a curveball here, right as we're closing out. But their future in the SEC: Sarkeesian at Texas, Venable's at Oklahoma. Which one do you think is uh, poised to uh, to last longer, so to speak, as the competition ramps up and and it's just a completely different animal than it than it is playing in the Big Twelve. As a, as playing in the SEC, Wh- which coach do you think will have uh, a longer run at their current school?
2: Was jokingly going to ask you how soon is the Alabama job
0: going to come open so, uh, <laughs> so Steve Sarkisian can get in the mix there. <laughs> hey, that could be that could be that's a fair question to ask too.
2: I I think. I I think Sarkeesian is probably the right answer here. Um, I like the job that Venables is doing. That's no knock on on Brent because, like I said, the the program is in a very good spot coming into the SEC. Their defense has improved. It's still got some steps to go. But I I think just the foundation that Sarkeesian has, and if Quinn Ewers goes to the NFL, they've got uh, Arch Manning, Brent Venables has uh, Jackson Arnold. They're both loaded with five-star quarterbacks uh, for the future. But a little teaser here. I think if you start looking ahead to next year, I think Texas is going to be in the top eight, six, maybe of preseason polls with Alabama and Georgia. So um, Oklahoma won't be far behind, but I think Texas is going to be ahead next year coming into the SEC. Yeah.
0: Hmm. Already thinking of 2024 with the, with that talk and the schedule of talk. I mean, it's, it's right around the corner, you know. <laughs>
2: I mean, haven't even finished the championship <laughs> games the bowl games. Let's, let's start throwing
0: out our early top 25s, right? <laughs> right. Well, hey, we went a little bit long. I, I really do appreciate it, Stephen. Before you go, as always, can you tell the audience where can they find your work and where can they give you a follow?
2: Absolutely. So you can follow me on Twitter at AthlonSteven. I'm also CFB on uh Instagram, Threads, TikTok, all CFB365 is my YouTube channel. Would love for you to come over, subscribe, check out what I've got there. And I co-host the Cover 2 podcast uh at Athlon Sports. It comes out on Wednesdays. We preview everything in college football. So Wednesdays, Cover 2 podcast, uh would love for everyone to check that out as well.
0: All right, so hey, Steven, thanks again. Can't wait for next week. What a epic weekend of games we got here. Not only, uh, not obviously, the SEC Championship, but so many others. The ACC, the Big Ten, the Big 12. They all have, Pac-12, all have playoff implications. And they could d- determine how many, if at all, how many teams from the SEC go to the college football playoff. Cousin Shane be back on the next episode. That's going to do it for this one. Appreciate each and every one of you. We'll catch you on the